I would say one of my biggest tensions around the idea of being better prepared is the idea of water. I would give ourselves maybe a B plus in a number of other areas, maybe, you know, our heating, we have that thought out. We have our cooking methods thought out if the power went out. But when it comes to water, we get a big fat F because if the electricity were to shut off, we would have zero way to run our well, get our animals water, get ourselves water, and that would become a problem really quickly. So Christian and I have been talking about this topic a ton lately, and I decided to talk to an expert. So I have Amber Bradshaw back joining us for this episode. If you listen to the off-grid episode, you know she is a wealth of information. She and her family homestead in the mountains of Tennessee, and her, their family was actually featured on an off-grid TV show. It's called Building Off the Grid, Smoky Mountain Homestead. You can check that out on the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, the DIY Network. So she knows her stuff. She's also the author of Beekeeping for Beginners, The Beginner's Guide to Raising Goats, and The Beginner's Guide to Chicken Breeds. And I loved this conversation I had with her. I got so many ideas and I know you will too. So here we go. Let's dive in. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I have helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Welcome back, Amber. Excited to have you back on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jill. I'm excited to be here. So for those of you who are just joining us, this is a kind of a part two to a chat I had with Amber Bradshaw. And our first chat was all about off-grid power. Um, and we did a deep dive into solar panels and their story of how they went from city dwellers in Myrtle Beach to mountain homesteaders and building their homestead by hand and their house in like three months. It's a cool story. So make sure you go back to that episode and get the backstory. But in this episode, we are going to talk about off-grid water. Water is a big deal to a homesteader. It's a big deal to everybody, but especially on a homestead. And this is something I have zero expertise in. And Amber and her husband have done a lot of research and work in this area. So I am pumped to dive in. I'm excited to dive in too. As a matter of fact, you know, our passion, we're passionate about water. I know it's funny to have a passion about water, but it's something I think because we, you know, born and raised by the ocean, that we just have that natural connection. We have a huge respect for it. And we we know how precious it is. I mean, everybody should know, but they just not something we talk about. It's something we take for granted. And when we lived um, by the ocean, you know, that was many people's livelihood around there. The water, there's, we were a part of the East Coast Conservation, Conservation League and we worked diligently to keep the water clean. And that 
all of that knowledge and that passion transferred with us to our off-grid life. Yeah, it, I absolutely agree. That's something that we, we all take for granted. I know I take for, it for granted and I shouldn't. So um, really important subject. Give us an overview. We talked on the previous episode about kind of how your off-grid homestead works. You have solar panels and a backup generator, but give us what a bird's idea of what your off-grid water system looks like. So our, because we've only lived here for a few years, we're still constantly evolving in the developmental stage. We did have some prior knowledge from actual experience when we lived at the beach. We used, we rerouted all of our usable gray water to our irrigation systems. Um, I never had to water our garden. We used every, all of the runoff for our bath water and um, even our washing machine water we used for our irrigation. And we always use biodegradable products. And I even talked a lot to people about, and I educated them about water and why it's so precious and how to use it and how to harvest it. And we used to harvest our rainwater as well. So we actually even brought our rainwater system with us knowing that we were going to implement it. One of the things um, that we did too before we left is we kind of, looked at our water consumption and we did an audit with that of how much we were using a day and where it was going. And so for here, we live on almost 47 acres. We are very crazy blessed with, we have artisanal springs and we have a year round flowing creek. That is the most beautiful, there's no one above us. So we're not like the low man on the totem pole. There was no one that we're downstream from. It comes out the side of the mountain and out of the ground in on our property. That is something that's, you know, invaluable. I mean, I can't even put a price on something like that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it is a quarter mile down the mountain, <laughs> almost 600 feet below us. And it's not where we built our house. Um, we do have an abundance, so it's feast or famine here with rain, and I'm not quite sure where it is where, where you are, mm -hmm. but we're either literally flooding or, and I say that in the literal sense, we have been trapped here in the mountains more to floods than I have ever been trapped on the ocean during hurricanes from flooding. Wow. It's, okay. I, <laughs> you're thinking, in a mountain house is going to flood. I, you know, that's, in a, that's a problem in and of itself. But when we don't have rain, you don't have a drop. It's like you're kicking dust bunnies. You know, I mean, there's a feast or famine. That's how you, yeah. how you'd have it. So we're in, we do have, um, <laughs> and this was another happenstance. Our property when we came here hadn't been touched in over a decade and the weeds were, you know, chest high and briars and everything during our several first couple of weeks of clearing the land and, you know, just trying to figure it out, everything out we ran across a pipe in the ground. Well, it was just a rusty old bent pipe. Lo and behold, it was an artesian well. So we had the water tested and then we had it capped and put a well on it. And it is connected to grid electricity that's at the very front of our property. Um, and I say front, it's hard to kind of visualize, but our property is really narrow in the valley, in the holler. Then it gets wide and it goes 600 feet up and it's like an upside down genie bottle, you know, or upside okay. down base. It's really wide and narrow. It's narrow on the front. And then the wider it gets, the higher it gets. So that valley right there is where that well is. And so we do use that 
uh, to help us. And that is a very temporary solution to a problem that we have that we hope to fix within, I would say, before summer. I'm going to be optimistic. (laughs) Optimistic. Optimistic. And at our house where we live, we have um, 960 square feet. We have our goats up here. We have our chickens up here. We have our hogs up here. And they all take a lot of water. And we have currently have a small rainwater collection system that we have gutters on every structure that we built. So we have a gutter system where our chicken coop is with a rainwater collection system there. We have one on our pigs. We have one over there where our rabbits are. And then we have um, one on our bathhouse because our bathhouse is not connected to our house house. And then we have the one rainwater collection system on our house. And our rainwater collection system are 65, uh, I think it's 60 or 65 gallon food grade barrels. So if you think those great big rain barrels that you always see, they're those, they're food grade barrels and they're what we brought with us. So that is how we have water. So are you using, so it sounds like the rain water, the collection is what is watering, Mm -hmm. is that like 100% water for the livestock in your house? Or is there a supplemental with that, just in case, like, you don't get rain during a period? Yeah, no, we have, so the rainwater, and it's, that's kind of like a multi-answer question. I mean, multi-answer to your question. We do haul water up and down the mountain. Every four days, we get 45 gallons of water. And (laughs) I was doing the math, and this is the part that blew me away. The average person, the average human in the United States uses 105 gallons of water a day. Wow. That is 3,045 gallons of water a month. That's the average person, you know, 3,045 gallons of water per month. One of the things that we have always valued, like I said, is water. And when you're moving off grid and you have to haul your water or you pump your water, or you even have to crawl down in the creek for your water, Every drop of that is precious. There's no more letting the faucet run. There's no more waiting for the hot water to heat up and just letting it run and run. You know, there's no more of that, those luxury baths and soaking baths or long showers where you're just, you know, letting the water rinse the stress away. Those those days are gone. You know, they're in the past. And believe it or not, when we first got here, before we even knew there was an artesian well, we crawled down in the creek with a five-gallon bucket and filled it up and brought it up and then used our Berkey to filter it. And uh, we went pretty rustic from the way we were living to what we were doing just to survive. So we collect rainwater and we use the rainwater pretty much for all of our livestock and they go through it quickly. So when the rain is not providing we do have to use the well to haul it up and down the mountain. And um, with the rainwater, if you're not circulating it, if you're not aerating it, if you're not you know, introducing oxygen to it, it will go bad. It will take, you'll take rainwater and it will be black water. You know, it'll be unusable. You know, you yeah. smell the bucket that had water sitting in it. I mean, you can just smell, they like smell like a moldy washcloth. You know, it's just, yes. you don't use that. I think, and it's, it's scary because water can make you really sick. 
I mean, you've got to be careful. You can't just drink out of a stream and not, you know, not boil it or not clean it and not filter it. And those are things um, that you have to be conscious of, you know, when you're trying to harvest your own water and reuse it. Yeah, that's a great point. So how do you, do you have a way you aerate your rainwater or you're just like, make sure you're using it and not letting it sit with the lid on? Do you have any specific systems for that? So right now um, we have, we go through it so quickly, it doesn't set. Like, because we get so much rain and we get, we have the livestock that we, feed, you know, take care of all the time. We don't have to do that. Our system that we're getting ready to install and this, like I said, that's always evolving, is 1,550 gallons. When we install that, we're going to have, it's going to have a solar pump inside that helps aerate it. And you can use, I mean, you, you can use a pool pump. They actually, the company that we bought our solar system from actually sells like a water pump, um, a solar water pump that just for cisterns. So okay. you can find those online. And they're obviously pretty affordable. You just want to move the water. And we used to have to do the same concept when we we're making compost tea for our garden. You know, you yeah. always have that little, like your fish pump, you know, aerator, you just put it in your bucket. Yeah. So yeah. you want to make sure that you're introducing oxygen. And then we're going to do an inline filter with that. Cause right now we're filtering everything through our Berkey and I love Ooh, our Berkey. Okay. I would not want to live here without it. But everything, it's, you know, I mean, I'm talking everything. So we're going to install, build it from scratch, an inline filter. It's going to go from the main collection of the cistern, which is 1,550 gallons, to a pre-filter, which is going, we have an old chest freezer. And the chest freezer has a drain at the bottom. And we're going to layer it with gravel, sand, and charcoal. And it's going to go in that as your natural filter. And then when it comes out and goes into the house, and then of course, we'll still use our Berkey for drinking and cooking, yeah. but we won't have to use it for like washing clothes or washing dishes and all that. And as a very, we have it. I mean, it, it's still, I say conceptual. The rainwater collection is not conceptual. We've got that now. Mm -hmm. We have our square footage. I wish I had that knowledge right in my in front of my head to pull out. It's how many square foot of roofing it is. I hate to say this. It is on the internet. I'm sorry I don't have it here with me in my brain, but <laughs> you can only remember so much. And for yep, everything, yep. <laughs> everything new you learn, you forget something else. Um, I but I will say this is we have a 4,400 a gallon swimming pool my husband built last year because we couldn't find one online from any manufacturer anywhere in the United States. And, you know, everybody just went, I guess we were all stuck at home. So everybody wanted to install a pool. And that wasn't good enough for me. I said, Timmy, can you build one? And so he built me a pool. And so we do have um, that 4,400 gallon swimming pool. We filled up with rainwater within a very short period of time. We just diverted our gutters and it filled it up. So we, we get a lot of rain. So the okay. system that we're talking about is very doable. I mentioned a little bit ago that the average human uses 3,045 gallons of water a month. That is, you know, you're taking your showers, your bath, your dishwasher, your washing machine, and you're cooking and you're drinking. 
a lot of that water is wasted. Like again, brushing your teeth, turning on your faucet and letting it get hot for your bath. And that those are precious drops of wasted water, you know, for when you're living off grid and you're harvesting your own water. We have been able to reduce our wastewater to we're only using 128 gallons per person per month. So we reduced our water waste by, you know, almost 2,800 gallons a month per person. That's incredible. What are some of the ways you've, you've done that? What are some of the things you've adjusted to make that happen? When I started doing the math, it actually blew myself away. I'm sitting here going, okay, we haul 45 gallons of water up the mountain every three to four days, 3.5 days. We're using an average of um, 4.28 gallons per person per day is what we're using. And that is our cooking, our washing our dishes, and our showers. That is not our livestock. Our livestock just go completely in rainwater. I personally have no problem using rainwater for our consumption, but my husband is a stickler. Now, when he's not looking, <laughs> I may go and get the rainwater <laughs> instead of driving down the mountain to go get it. Um, because you're running, it, kicking. <laughs> you're running it through the Berkey, right? The, the rainwater is still yeah, going in the Berkey. Yeah. 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 And for those, and I know when it's been, Go ahead. Right, sorry. For those of you, like we have a little delay, so that's why it, it might sound like we're talking over each other, but it's tricky with rural internet on both sides. But I was going to um, just mention for those listening who aren't familiar with what a Berkey is, I feel like it's pretty common, but it's basically a stainless steel cylinder that you can stick on your kitchen counter. It's not like a monster machine, but it is a very high quality filter. And I, I know a lot of friends who live in town and they use a Berkey just to filter out all the city junk out of their water too. But um, like Amber's mentioning, it's also a great option if you're off grid and you're trying to filter rainwater or something like that. So just a little side note, keep on, keep on trucking, Amber. You're, you were, I think you had something to say. No, it's, it, it is great. I love, I love our Berkey. I've used a lot of filters in our time and we've had our water tested. Um, again, you know, if you're not careful, rainwater can turn into black water really quick. So you want to make sure that you're cycling it out all the time. And if you've got water that's been in a rain barrel for a little while and you're expecting to rain, drain that joker out. You know, go ahead and saturate some trees a little bit. And that way you're collecting fresh when you go in there. And so that is, we've been able to reduce our water usage. From the average person, like I just mentioned, they use 101.5 gal- gallons of water a day. And we are only using 4.2 gallons of water per person per day. And we've been able to do that, one, out of necessity. Nobody likes to go up and down the mountain to haul water. Mm-hmm. Um, but two is just reducing the waste. So, for instance, our shower system is that where the water only goes when you're pouring it on you or pulling the chain. You know, if you've ever been to a beach or a gym where they've got that pull chain shower, yep. you know, yep. you're not going to, you can't scrub your hair and have the water run. You're only using what is necessary. So where a typical person would use, you know, 10 gallons of water, I think, no, it's 17 gallons of water per bath, per shower. That's the average person. We're using two gallons per person. So that's saving 15 gallons right there. 
the way we wash dishes, and I don't, I, 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 we are eco-friendly. So yeah, you could buy plastic forks and paper plates when you live off grid so you don't have to do dishes, but that doesn't sit well with me. So um, we wash all of our dishes, you know, we don't do paper and plastic for everything. And I have a two gallon water container that's right by my sink. And it just, it's kind of like what you would put sweet tea in, you know, or mm -hmm. your drinking water in with a little push um, pump at the bottom, you know, to let the liquid out. <laughs> I'm sitting yeah. here lost for words. Yeah, yeah. And that's how we wash dishes. So I push the lever, water comes out. I wash my plate, you know, it's all sudsy. I push it again, rinse it off. There's no letting the water run, you know, there's no waste. And I think that's, that's how we've been able to save. And then washing clothes, um, now washing clothes, I do use rainwater. So the washing clothes part is not equated in that, you know, the, the 45, excuse me, the 4.28 gallons per day per person, that's rainwater that I do. But with the washing clothes, I use the washboard and a rainer. So I don't, I can't say that there isn't, excuse me, I'm not saving a ton of water washing clothes because uh, those high efficiency washers do really good at conserving water, in my opinion. However, I re do reuse the gray water from our washing clothes in the garden in different places that I need it. Okay, and that, was, that brings me to another question I had. Um, so you mentioned you had gray water systems in your house when you lived in town. So I'm assuming you have those set up to cap capture like what your dishwater and your clothes washing water, what else? Yeah, so our dishwater, it is, um, we have that. And the dishwater too, that one is kind of tricky for the average person to reuse gray water because it always has food particles and whatever was on your plate that goes down in there. So we just automatically drain that to a gravel system that goes out into our woods. Um, we do, we try to be really careful, you know, not to have an abundance of food left over on the plates, but we have mm -hmm. kids you know, that yeah. don't know how to scrape their plate. Um, in our gardens, we do recycle our water. So for instance, our bath water that we have, it goes out there by my mushroom garden. The pipe goes under the ground. It has, it is, it almost acts like a field line. So field line for septic systems are long. They have preparations in them to help leach out the water or leach out your sewage. You know, if you have a septic system, in our case, it's water. So it waters all of our plants and our gardens at root level and not on the surface level. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, a few minutes ago, you mentioned a bathhouse and I am intrigued. So do you have your tub and your toilets and stuff? I'm assuming they're not <laughs> in your home. Are they out in a separate little structure? Tell us how that works. Yeah. Yeah, they're separate. Well, so when my husband and my son were building our home, square footage was precious. And we just couldn't see taking up living space at that time with a bathroom. I mean, we knew eventually we wanted to build a master addition and include one, but we decided, hey, let's build an old fashioned like outdoor bathhouse. And so we did, it's a 10 by 10 structure. And for you'll be you'll appreciate this. Our bathtub is a horse trough, you know the yes, yes. horse trough. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And we have a 
itty bitty. We got an itty bitty wood cook stove. I mean, it's like knee high wood cook stove in there. And that joker does a crazy job of keeping that bathhouse warm. And then we have our composting toilet in there. Okay. And for our hand washing, I had, my husband built us a stand and we have a tiny version of the horse trough, just a little like foot and a half long one. And then again, we have like your sweet tea container type thing with your water in it for washing your hands. That one we do not have hooked up to a drain because it's just so simple and easy. When it gets water in it, we just take it out and dump it on the flower bed. Um, we could, you know, hook it up to plumbing, but we just opted not to for time and just, I guess, we had other bigger fish to fry at the moment. Yes. And how we take a bath out there is we have the tub set up to, we put a hole in the bottom and my husband put the drain in it. And um, with that's when we plumbed it out to the garden with the perforated pipe, the drain pipe that waters things at the root level. And we heat up our water on the wood cook stove. And we take like the old cowboy baths, even okay. the girls. And so we sit in the tub, you know, and pour the hot water over you. And that's how we use, we know exactly how much water we use because we fill up like an old spaghetti pot and that's our water. And that is like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. It's not, my husband has this thing and we've kind of clung to it the last three years. It's not always going to be like this. You know, it, we all know it's evolving. If anybody's done a construction project, you know, you have stages, you know. So um, we actually have built our master edition since moving up here, building, let's say. And he, we have a master bathroom that I'm crazy excited about. And it still has a composting toilet. We still have, we will have a full rainwater collection system that I discussed with you about the 1,550 gallons. And yep. that is our rain shower on the chain. So okay. um, things are connected, but we just don't have the water collection in place. And he built us a walk-in tile shower floor. And, you know, I've got a real sink. It just isn't connected to the water yet. So it will be interesting to see if we go back to wasting water once we have a faucet that you can turn on and off versus, right. you know, just pushing the button, let the water come out. <laughs> I'll For be sure. sitting there. My husband will be sitting there looking over at counting every drop that comes out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it was it hard to get used to. I mean, I know this is how people have done it for you know, for hundreds of years where you walk outside to the outhouse or you walk outside to the bathhouse. Was that hard to get used to, or did it feel like no big deal? It's a pain in the butt. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's a pain in the butt. There are things that I like about it and things that I don't. So we used to, in Polly's where we lived, you know, by Myrtle Beach, I had a gorgeous master bathroom that was connected right to our bedroom. And I had a walk-in closet. I had the clawfoot tub. It was nice. And um, I miss it. It is convenience. You know, when you have to go, you've got to go. You don't want to. Yeah have to go put on a snow jacket, put on some snow boots and walk outside to go use the restroom. You know, that's, a, that, that's been an adjustment. Um, I think that's the biggest adjustment as far as its location. Because who likes to get dressed in the middle of the night when you got to right. go bubbles? You know, right. I mean, you, just, yes. <laughs> you don't want to do that. And the other adjustment too, I think one of the biggest things with us, um, figuring out, 
you know, the difference between our city urban living and this is how long everything takes. So you take for granted, like right now, when me and you get done talking, if you wanted to go take a hot shower, you make sure the kid's okay, you go in, you turn it on, let the water run, boom, you're in the shower in less than five minutes. Here, we have to make sure we have enough water, then we got to build the fire, then we got to heat the water, then we got to heat the bathhouse, then we got to, you know, go in the bathhouse and mix the cold and hot and then take your bath. It is a long process. It's something you have to plan. We've had guests, like family, come and stay with us. And they're like, hey, I want to come up and take a, a shower. Like, good, give me two hours and yeah. come on up. You know? yeah. <laughs> you're like, what? So, and, and yeah, you can't, if you're out running errands and you're going to the feed store or out to dinner and you come home and it's night, you can't just jump in the shower and take one before you go to bed. It is, it's a process. and that's one of the things that I'm very thankful that I work from home because if I had to live, work off the homestead and do what we do, I, I would probably would have tapped out a long time ago. There's no way. Sure. This is a full-time job. It's, it's full-time. When you have to haul the water to take a bath, it's a full-time job. Yeah. But it's a rewarding one. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's definitely, I wouldn't go back. You know, if you said, Hey, Amber, you know, my neighbor's house is for sale it's cute. It's in the city. You know, they want to trade you. There's all the bells and whistles. I wouldn't do it because yeah. I I'm liking the journey. Yeah. That, that concept of hard, but good. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. So, okay. So back to the gray water, as you're talking about things, you know, being piped to the garden, are you using like special soaps or are there are certain things you shouldn't use or can't use? Um, cause you're so mindful of it going straight to the ground or to the plants in any way? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we were this way, even when we were in the city, matter of fact, I used to teach classes at the local college about how to make all of your own eco-friendly products to replace everything toxic that you were using with a natural alternative, because there for, for anybody that's listening that lives in the city or, you know, with us, especially we got our water from the intercoastal waterway, you know, that goes all the way from Maine, all the way down to Florida. They, it comes into your water treatment plant. It goes into your faucet. You pour it out. Anything that you pour down into your drain, I don't care if that's old medicine, bleach, hair color, all of it. It goes back to the water treatment plant, gets treated with a bunch of chemicals, filtered out, and gets treated with more chemicals and gets put back into the intercoastal waterway. Anybody that gets drives their water from a natural body of water, it's pretty much the same way. Those chemicals and everything, they're killing the vegetation, they're killing the plant life, they're removing the oxygen from the water. Now you're having algae issues and it's just, it's bad for the environment. So we started using that kind of stuff way before we came here. And it's one of my firm rules about anybody that stays here. It's like, you know, this is how you, this is what you use to wash your dishes. This is what you need to use if you wash your clothes. This is the type of shampoo that you need to use. And it has to be biodegradable. It has to be as natural as possible. It still works. It works just as good, if not better than everything else, but it just takes an adjustment because some of it requires more elbow grades. 
But I'm still a firm believer in bacon soda and vinegar are like duct tape and WD-40. They pretty much fix everything. Yes, yes. Okay. And that's something (laughs) that even if you're not living up in the mountains in an off-grid house, you you could and absolutely should consider using those options in your townhouse or your city house because it's going to be good for the water table anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of the cleaners, you know, they, they are not, that are not, they're water soluble, which means they blend in with your water and you can never get them back out. Mm-hmm. So that is a mindful thing to think about no matter where you are. I mean, it's just, it doesn't apply just to off-grid living. Like you said, it applies to everybody. Yeah. Good first, first step for any of you listening who are thinking, you know, what can I do? That's a great, great place to start. Um, okay, here is a tough question. What if you live in a place <laughs> where, like me, where we don't get a lot of rain? So it's, I'm a little jealous hearing about how your rain barrels fill up. We will get downpours, like thunderstorm downpours in the summer. But other than that, rain is not much of a thing here. Are we out of luck for this, like an off-grid water plan? Or are there other options that you're familiar with? There are, I, you know, to be honest, I don't know if there's any easy options. Wells are definitely an option anywhere. I mean, there are solar pumps for wells. So you could easily, if you could, if you could install a well, you can easily, easily, I'm using air quotes here. You, can't yeah. <laughs> you can easily install an off-grid system to get the water out of there. You can also go with those old pumps. So we have the old pitcher pump on the well, and that is a manual way to get your water that's worked for years and years and years, and it still works now. So you could have it connected to a solar pump, and then you could have your pitcher pump as a backup. So wells, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a well. We would install one, to be honest, if we had the finances to do it. Because they're very expensive to drill. Yes, absolutely. They're very expensive. Our well is only 125 foot artesian well that we have. It's very shallow. And we're so blessed to have such a shallow well with wonderful water. I mean, that's, that's all I can say. It's a blessing. I'm not trying to, you know, toot my heart. I mean, you know, because you got to remember, I mean, there, I, we make a lot of other sacrifices in other areas, but we're, we're really happy with that. We just can't get it here where we live on up on our home. But yeah, if it was a, if it was a feasible financial ability to do, we would certainly do it. And we would still collect rainwater because every, I mean, why let the water go wasted? You know, if you have that ability, you can put it to use, even if it's only for three months, you know, to, you can harvest it and use it. Yes. That harvest it and use it. Absolutely. And we're, I think like we built a greenhouse this year and it has a lot of roof square footage. So we're definitely looking at adding some barrels. I mean, I figure it's not going to be as much as you guys, but at least like you said, a couple months worth, we capture some thunderstorm rain and we can at least not let it just go to waste. Yeah. I, I would imagine if you've got even a 10 by 20 foot greenhouse, you collect hundreds of gallons in a very short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Just getting those systems set up. And we do, um, for those of you who might be in a position like we are with not a lot of rain, we do have a well. And one thing we have considered, like Amber said, is getting a hand pump, even if just in the event of the power going off, 
having a way to get water because water to the animals is always a huge stress. If the power goes out, you know, we can live on a little bit, a couple gallon jugs in the house for a while, but the animals drink a lot. Uh, so a hand pump or like a solar sort of well, or, you know, a lot of the ranchers around us have wells out in the middle of nowhere in back pastures that are serviced by windmills and they're, uh, the windmill runs the well. So just some considerations, take some brain power, take some figuring, but there are options, I think, if you're willing to get creative. Absolutely. And I, I'm glad you mentioned the windmill because that is one of the things um, that we were talking about when adding wind energy. There are systems out there that are wind energy that just do, just do the water. They even have one now that is, um, they have the, where it connects to your heating element and your water heater. That is something we didn't even know was a possibility that we would have real, real running water, no, um, yeah. warm water, the traditional way. And it is, it looks, it's, they are, um, the, the element looks just like it does for your traditional electrical hot water heater, but it's run off of wind energy and it didn't seem at the moment like it was crazy expensive. I'm talking about for the element that runs off of the wind energy, it was less than 50 bucks for your water heater. And then of course you have to have the wind. And wind energy that we are looking at, I just went and looked back at my quote. It's It was $2,300 and it worked off of just four miles an hour wind. Most places, hmm. most, and that was an 11 blade system. Some of them, you know, one of the people that I talked about that installed wind, they're really happy with it. But they said, the one thing that I would do is get more blades. I only have three blades and that is my biggest regret. Okay. The more blades that you have and the more efficient the, the wind energy is that you don't need as much wind to get it to spin to start producing those watts. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I imagine with you being kind of your house being on top of the mountain versus down in the holler, you have more wind up there. So that could, that would make a lot of sense. Yes. And of course out here on the prairie, I think we possibly live in one of the windiest places in the United States. That's why no one else lives here is because it's, Oh gosh, <laughs> we would do well with wind. Um, <laughs> yeah. We've looked at it many times because I'm like, we got to use this natural resource for something because there's so much of it. But yeah, harvest it. You got it. You can yep. just tap into it. Right. Exactly. And if you can especially use it in conjunction with your solar, I mean, you could pump all your water, you could run all of your lights, you know, you could you could relieve a lot of your grid connection just having those two items with the amount of sun that you have in the wind that you get. Right. And maybe even if it's not, and that's something to consider too, maybe if it's even not hundred percent right off the bat, like just, you know, a little bit or pieces or figuring out this well can be run with wind or this part of our greenhouse could be run with solar. I think that is something else to consider. Maybe it doesn't have to be all or nothing right off the bat. Would you say? Absolutely. Oh, and I think that's always, you know, when I talked about having a plan B, um, when we were discussing the solar on the previous episode, I think that's good in everything. Like, again, when we were talking about having a well, and you were talking about the windmill and everything, you know, or a hand pump, have a plan B for everything. And you don't have to, it's not all or nothing. All or nothing is daunting. I don't mm -hmm. recommend all or nothing really for anybody starting out. If you can put your greenhouse on solar and that's feasible and affordable, 
the smaller systems, you're looking at less than five grand, you know, so start there, you know, and as you move forward, then you can start doing a little bit more. But if your whole house is connected to the grid and you want to switch over to renewable energy, that's it. You're going to drop a lot of money. And if you just want to do bits and pieces of of it, it's more, it's more feasible. Yeah. Baby steps. All about the baby steps. Um, Okay. So one final question for you as we wrap up. And I think we've touched on this a little bit, but just to give this to you, the audience in just a nice package here, let's say someone is living in the city or they're living on a small homestead. What are the first steps that they can start taking to have, I don't know, more control over their water supply or um, maybe more water sustainability or a plan B or something along those lines? Well, first, Jill, we're going to do our little disclaimer, you know, make sure you check with your local laws to see if it's legal to collect mm-hmm. your rainwater. Isn't that funny we have to say so that? Oh, <laughs> Isn't it crazy that we have to say that? It is, but uh, that's the truth. So definitely, you know, don't just go, hey, I heard on Jill's show the other day, this woman say, I need to collect my rainwater. Check to make make sure not only is it legal in your state, your city, but if you live in an HOA, I know a lot of HOAs get their knickers in a bunch. If you want to put a rain barrel out, you've got to have it decorated or paint a mural on it. Um, So first, you know, do that little tiny little bit of research to make sure it's legal. Second is look at your roof, you know, to see if you have a gutter system, try to tie into that to harvest your rainwater. I'm going to make another little disclaimer here. If you have asphalt shingles, I would not consider collecting rainwater. I would only because of the tar and the toxins from the runoff of the asphalt that's not a really good surface to try to collect um, potable water or garden water off of. If you have other, like your clay tile or your tin, those are really good surfaces to collect rainwater from. Um, And you can start with just, you know, your garden barrel. If you can hook up to your gutter system and collect enough water to water your garden that you're not out there doing it every day, that's a great first step. Second is uh, we purchased like the drip irrigation, your typical drip irrigation, I think at Lowe's or Home Depot, and connected it to that water barrel and ran it through our little herb gardens and stuff. That thing worked like a charm. Um, You can even, you know, if you wanted to get really creative, you could even put a little fertilizer in your rain barrel and then it goes out through your drip irrigation. So you're getting everything right there on the roots. Second, or this might even be third, is reduce your water consumption. Reduce, reduce, reduce. You know, if you're trying to live more self-sufficient, sustainable, reduce the waste. You know, look at your water bill and see how much water you're using a month. And if you're using that 3,045 gallons per person in your house, see, I mean, don't go all rogue and try to match our 128 gallons a month. But try to each month see if you can reduce it by 100 gallons, you know, in, in any way you can, yeah. you know, and because it's just, it's so important. I mean, we all need water to survive and we need fresh, clean water. And then the last way, I guess, my last piece of advice, and I know this isn't really water 
it's not conserving the amount of usage, but it's preserving our quality of water is to try to switch over in baby steps, more eco-friendly replacements to your favorite store brand, cleaners, body care products, and just be conscious of what you pour down your drain. Yeah. So much to think about here. I feel, uh, I don't want the word convicted in a good way of like, maybe I won't be letting my water run while I brush my teeth and while I do the dishes and just, just because I can, doesn't mean I should. So I'm going to absolutely be taking a second look right. at some of my habits that we all just fall into without thinking. So, so good, Amber. Thank you so much. Um, remind everybody where they can find you online and also about your new show coming out soon. Uh, first, thanks, Jill, for giving me this opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. And again, if anybody ever has any questions about this lifestyle, I want to be transparent and be an open book to help them. I mean, even if they're just curious, you know, to help educate them on what we've done. And maybe they have some ideas for us and said, hey, I heard you're collecting rainwater and you're going to put in this pump. I got a really good idea. I, I welcome that. My website is myhomesteadlife.com. And the show that we're going to be on is Building Off the Grid. This is the best of series. And it will be out the end of, um, I believe they said it's going to be the end of April, the first part of May. You can check your local listings. It will the DIY network. Fabulous. So guys, definitely go check her out. Amber's also written some books. So have a look at those in her website, myhomesteadlife.com. Thank you again, Amber. I hope you guys got as much good stuff. Well, I know you did as much as I did because I have lots to think about now. So thanks for listening, my friends. And we will talk again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.